0: Section Five, Chapters Fifteen through Eighteen of *The Monk and the Hangman's Daughter* by Ambrose Bierce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. Alas, my unhappy fate, again punished and again unable to find myself guilty. It seems that Amula has talked about Benedicta and rocus The brown wench strolled from house to house, telling how rocus went to the gallows for his partner in the dance. And, she added, that Benedicta had acted in the most shameless manner with the drunken boys. When the people spoke to me of this I enlightened them regarding the facts, as it seemed to me my duty to do, and told all as it had occurred. By this testimony, in contradiction of one who broke the decalogue by bearing false witness against her neighbor, I have, it seems, offended the superior. I was summoned before him and accused of defending the hangman's daughter against the statements of an honest Christian girl. I asked meekly what I should have done, whether I should have permitted the innocent and defenseless to be calumniated. Of what interest, I was asked, can the hangman's daughter be to you? Moreover, it is a fact that she went of her own will to associate with the drunken boys. To this I replied she went out of love to her father for if the intoxicated youths had not found her they would have maltreated him and she loves the old man who is ill and helpless thus it happened and thus i have testified but his reverence insisted that i was wrong and put me under severe penance i willingly undergo it i am glad to suffer for the sweet child nor will i murmur against the revered superior For he is my master, against whom to rebel even in thought is sin. Is not obedience the foremost commandment of our great saint for all his disciples? Ah, how I long for the priestly ordination and the holy oil! Then I shall have peace and be able to serve heaven better and with greater acceptance. I am troubled about Benedicta. If not confined to my cell, I should go toward the Galgenberg. Perhaps I should meet her. I grieve for her as if she were my sister. Belonging to the Lord, I have no right to love anything but Him who died upon the cross for our sins. All other love is evil. Oh, blessed saints in heaven! What if it be that this feeling, which I have accepted as a sign and token that I am charged with the salvation of Benedicta's soul, is but an earthly love? Pray for me, O oh dear Franciscus that I may have the light, lest I stray into the road which leads down to hell. Light and strength, beloved saint, that I may know the right path, and walk therein for ever. End of chapter 15 Chapter 16 I stand at the window of my cell. The sun sinks and the shadows creep higher on the sides of the mountains beyond the abyss. The abyss itself is filled with a mist whose bellowing surface looks like a great lake. I think how Benedicta climbed out of these awful depths to fling me the Edelweiss. I listen for the sound of the stones displaced by her daring little feet and plunging into the chasm below. But night after night has passed. I hear the wind among the pines. I hear the water roaring in the deeps. I hear the distant song of the nightingale but her voice I do not hear. Every evening the mist rises from the abyss. It forms billows, then rings, then flakes, and these rise and grow and darken until they are great clouds. They cover the hill and the valley, the tall pines and the snow-pointed mountains. They extinguish the last remaining touches of sunlight on the higher peaks, and it is night. Alas, in my soul also there is night, night, starless and without hope of dawn. Today is Sunday. Benedicta was not in church. The dark corner remained vacant. I was unable to keep my mind upon the service, a sin for which I shall do voluntary penance. Amula was among the other maidens, but I saw nothing of Rokus, It seemed to me that her watchful black eyes were a sufficient guard against any rival, and that in her jealousy Benedicta would find protection. God can make the basest passions serve the most worthy ends, and the reflection gave me pleasure, which, alas, was of short life. The services being at an end, the fathers and friars left the church slowly in procession, moving through the vestry, while the people went out at the main entrance. From the long-covered gallery leading out of the vestry one has a full view of the public square of the village. As we friars who were behind the Fathers were in the gallery something occurred which I shall remember even to the day of my death as an unjust deed which Heaven permitted, for I know not what purpose. It seems that the Fathers must have known what was coming, for they halted in the gallery giving us all an opportunity to look out upon the square. I heard a confused noise of voices. It came nearer, and the shouting and yelling sounded like the approach of all the fiends of Hell. Being at the farther end of the gallery, I was unable to see what was going on in the square, so I asked a brother at a window nearby what it was all about. "'They are taking a woman to the pillory,' he answered. "'Who is it?' "'A girl.' "'What has she done?' "'You ask a foolish question.' Whom are pillories and whipping-posts for? but fallen women?" The howling mob passed farther into the square, so that I had a full view. In the front were boys, leaping, gesticulating, and singing vile songs. They seemed mad with joy, and made savage by the shame and pain of their fellow-creature. Nor did the maids behave much better. "'Fie upon the outcast!' they cried see what it is to be a sinner thank god we are virtuous in the rear of these yelling boys surrounded by this mob of screaming women and girls oh god how can i write it how can i express the horror of it in the midst of it all she the lovely the sweet the immaculate benedicta oh my saviour how did i see all this yet am i still living to relate it i must have come near to death the gallery the square the people seemed whirling round and round the earth sank beneath my feet and although i strained my eyes open to see yet all was dark but it must have been for but a short time i recovered and on looking down into the square saw her again they had clothed her in a long grey cloak fastened at the waist with a rope her head bore a wreath of straw and on her breast suspended by a string about the neck was a black tablet bearing in chalk the words "Bule harlot by the end of the rope about her waist a man led her i looked at him closely and O, most holy son of god what brutes and beasts thou did come to save it was benedicta's father they had compelled the poor old man to perform one of the duties of his office by leading his own child to the pillory I learned later that he had implored the superior on his knees not to lay this dreadful command upon him, but all in vain. The memory of this scene can never leave me. The hangman did not remove his eyes from his daughter's face, and she frequently nodded at him and smiled. By the grace of God the maiden smiled! The mob insulted her, called her vile names, and spat upon the ground in front of her feet. Nor was this all. Observing that she took no notice of them, they pelted her with dust and grass. This was more than the poor father could endure, and with a faint, inarticulate moan, he fell to the ground in a swoon. Oh, the pitiless wretches! They wanted to lift him up and make him finish his task, but Benedicta stretched out her arm in supplication and with an expression of so ineffable tenderness upon her beautiful face that even the brutal mob felt her gentle power and recoiled before her leaving the unconscious man upon the ground. She knelt and took her father's head in her lap. She whispered in his ear words of love and comfort. She stroked his gray hair and kissed his pale lips until she had coaxed him into consciousness and he had opened his eyes. Benedicta, thrice-blessed Benedicta thou surely art born to be a saint for thou didst show a divine patience like that with which our saviour bore his cross and with it all the sins of the world she helped her father to rise and smiled brightly in his face when he made out to stand she shook the dust from his clothing and then still smiling and murmuring words of encouragement handed him the rope the boys yelled and sang the women screamed And the wretched old man led his innocent child to the place of shame. Chapter sixteen. Chapter seventeen. When I was back again in my cell, I threw myself upon the stones and cried aloud to God against the injustice and misery that I had witnessed, and against the still greater misery of which I had been spared the sight. I saw in my mind the father binding his child to the post. I saw the brutal populace dance about her with savage delight. I saw the vicious amula spit in the Pure One's face. I prayed long and earnestly that the poor child might be made strong to endure her great affliction. Then I sat and waited. I waited for the setting of the sun, for at that time the sufferer is commonly released from the whipping-post. The minutes seemed hours, the hours eternities. The sun did not move. The day of shame was denied a night. It was in vain that I tried to understand it all. I was stunned and dazed. Why did Rocas permit Benedicta to be so disgraced? Does he think the deeper her shame the more easily he can win her? I know not, nor do I greatly care to search out his motive. But God help me, I myself feel her disgrace most keenly. And Lord, Lord! what a light has come into the understanding of thy servant. It has come to me like a revelation out of heaven that my feeling for Benedicta is more and less than what I thought it. It is an earthly love, the love of a man for a woman. As first this knowledge broke into my consciousness, my breath beat quick and hard. It seemed to me that I should suffocate. Yet such was the hardness of my heart, from witnessing so terrible an injustice tolerated by heaven, that I was unable wholly to repent. In the sudden illumination, I was blinded. I could not clearly see my degree of sin. The tumult of my emotions was not altogether disagreeable. I had to confess to myself that I would not willingly forego it, even if I knew it wicked. May the Mother of Mercy intercede for me. Even now, i cannot think that in supposing myself to have a divine mandate to save the soul of benedicta and preparing her for a life of sanctity i was wholly in error this other human desire comes it not also of god is it not concerned for the good of its object and what can be the greater good than salvation of the soul a holy life on earth and in heaven eternal happiness and glory to reward it surely the spiritual and the carnal love are not so widely different as i have been taught to think them they are perhaps not antagonistic and are but expressions of the same will o holy franciscus in this great light that has fallen about me guide thou my steps show to my dazzled eyes the straight right way to benedictus good at length the sun disappeared behind the cloister The flakes and cloudlets gathered upon the horizon, the haze rose from the abyss, and beyond the purple shadow climbed higher and higher the great slope of the mountain, extinguishing at last the gleam of light upon the summit. Thank God, oh, thank God, she is free! End of chapter 17 Chapter 18 I have been very ill, but by the kind attention of the brothers am sufficiently recovered to leave my bed. It must be God's will that I live to serve Him, for certainly I have done nothing to merit His great mercy in restoring me to health. Still I feel a yearning in my soul for a complete dedication of my poor life to Him and His service. To embrace Him and be bound up in His love are now the only aspirations that I have. As soon as the holy oil is on my brow, these hopes, I am sure, will be fulfilled and purged of my hopeless earthly passion for Benedicta. I shall be lifted into a new and diviner life, and it may be that then I can, without offense to heaven or peril to my soul, watch over and protect her far better than I can now as a wretched monk. I have been weak my feet like those of an infant failed to support my body the brothers carried me into the garden with white gratitude i again looked upward into the blue of the sky how rapturously i gazed upon the white peaks of the mountains and the black forests on their slopes every blade of grass seemed to me of special interest and i greeted each passing insect as if it were an old acquaintance my eyes wandered to the south where the Galgenberg is, and I think unceasingly of the poor child of the hangman. What has become of her? Has she survived her terrible experience in the public square? What is she doing? Oh, that I were strong enough to walk to the Galgenberg! But I am not permitted to leave the monastery, and there is none of whom I dare ask her fate. The friars look at me strangely. It is as if they no longer regarded me as one of them. Why is this so? I love them and desire to live in harmony with them. They are kind and gentle, yet they seem to avoid me as much as they can. What does it all mean? End of chapter 18